Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of those of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. So this episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be the only one here for this one simply just because uh, Kevin was not able to make it. If you guys have been paying attention to the news specifically related to Florida over the last couple of days, uh, you'll have known that Hurricane Ian hit Fort Myers uh, just a couple of days ago. And the way that it works is I do the podcast here in Tampa. Kevin lives in Fort Myers and Fort Myers was directly impacted by Hurricane Ian. Now in Tampa, where the storm was originally supposed to be projected to go before it ended up making landfall, Fort Myers was kind of out of uh, harm's way at that point in time. Well, the storm changed track a few days before it made landfall, and it essentially made a beeline straight for southwest Florida, which included Fort Myers. And when it comes to Kevin's status with the podcast moving forward, it's going to be up in the air, to say the least, just based off of the fact that Obviously, the internet service has been spotty. Obviously, power has been a major issue there. Um, really, when it comes to the Fort Myers area, there's a lot of people living in Lee County, for example. Some of the outlying counties like uh, Collier County, you could maybe throw Charlotte County in there, are you know, still by and large without power and may be without power for the foreseeable future. Um, when it comes to Kevin, he's fine. Um, he wasn't hurt or injured in that storm, but... It's safe to say that the hurricane that rolled through Southwest Florida was significant, to say the least. I imagine most of you have seen the images and the videos. Um, they've been pretty significant as far as the damage was concerned in Southwest Florida. And, you know, fortunately for Kevin, uh, he's fine. Um, none of his property was damaged. Um, his apartment wasn't damaged. So all in all, you know, the best case scenario was Kev was unharmed. Um, I lived in Tampa. We didn't really get that much of an effect from Hurricane Ian. So, I mean, I'm sitting here recording, so it didn't really have that much of an impact as far as I see it. But uh, when it comes to Kev being with being on the podcast for the next couple of weeks, it's going to be up in the air just because, like I said, the internet down there is going to be spotty. But I know that you know once that situation is taken care of, where uh, power is restored at full capacity, uh, internet service is restored at full capacity. He's going to be chomping at the bit uh, to get back here. I know Kev, you know, probably better than anybody. And I know he's going to definitely be ready to go uh, once all those situations are taken care of. But um, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of the thing, you know, Kevin and I live in Florida and it's one of those things that we have to kind of keep in mind at this time of the year where hurricanes could tend to travel towards Florida. I mean, it's a peninsula for God's sakes. It sticks out in the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean. So uh, there's a very good chance that, you know, this definitely would not be the last hurricane that rolls through Florida. And um, it could be something that we have to contend with moving forward as a podcast. But overall, I just wanted to give you guys a status update of why Kevin's not here. Um, definitely, he'll be ready to go when the uh, those issues are restored. So 
it'll be uh it'll be a little bit different from this point forward but let's not waste any more time uh, we had some great week four matchups in the nfl uh, we're gonna go through about four or five games here so i'm not gonna waste any more time with the agenda uh, the first one we're gonna go over is the chiefs and the bucks uh, that was the sunday night matchup that we saw and the chiefs essentially dominated the buccaneers winning by the score of 41 to 31 i know the score indicated that it was a little bit closer but the kansas city chiefs held a pretty solid three possession lead throughout most of the game even though the score indicates a two possession game uh, kansas city looked quite impressive on the road pretty much giving it to that Tampa defense, which has looked solid. I uh, definitely had a letdown game, but that's really by and large what Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense was able to do. After that, we'll kick it over to the AFC for a little bit. We'll focus on the Bills and the Ravens. Uh, the Bills won against the Ravens by the score of 23-20. to 20. Uh, The Bills bounced back from that tough loss that they had in Miami in Week 3. And once again, when it comes to the Ravens, they have another blown lead. They blew a 35 to 14 lead in the fourth quarter against the Dolphins a few weeks back. And in this game against the Bills, they were up 20 to 3 late in the first half, but were held scoreless in the second half. And the Bills were able to take advantage of it and end up winning on a essentially a game winning field goal. Uh, after that, we'll focus on the Eagles and the Jags. Uh, the Eagles remain undefeated at a 4 0 record, beating the Jags by the score of 29 to 21. Jags got off to a really good start. The Eagles bounced back late in the first half and then continued that momentum going into the second half and essentially locked down that Jags offense for large stretches of that game. But like I said, uh, the Eagles remain undefeated. They're one of the best teams in the NFL at this point. And once we get to that segment, uh, it'll be interesting to see how far the Eagles can go uh, as far as their undefeated streak goes. And then to essentially round out the main topics that we have for the episode, uh, we're going to focus on the Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys beat the Commanders by the score of 25-20. to 20. Even though the Dak Prescott has been out of the starting quarterback spot for the last few weeks recovering from that thumb injury, Cooper Rush has filled in quite nicely. And even though that he has put up some decent numbers uh, throughout his time as a starting quarterback for the Cowboys, really their defense has stepped up. And that, that'll be something of note when we get to that point in the episode. And then maybe just before we end up wrapping up the episode, I may throw out like an honorable mention, just a game that just caught my eye that we're not in our uh, featured topics here. But once we get to that point, I'll just kind of pick one off the top of my head just based off of what we saw with the week four slated games this past weekend. Uh, we're not going to really do any sort of preview for the Monday night game between the Rams and the 49ers. Uh, we covered that last week on our Friday episode that we released. So if you want to check out our preview to this upcoming Monday night game, uh, you can go check out the uh, the episode that dropped on Friday last week. And then we'll also have a segment that will come out on Monday on YouTube uh, where you guys can see our preview for that game in particular. But let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this Chiefs and Bucks game. So like I said at the top, uh, the Chiefs came out on top over Tampa by the score of 41-31. to 31. Uh, The Chiefs' offense was just humming on all cylinders in this game. Patrick Mahomes looked like he was in midseason form. He was absolutely dicing up that Tampa secondary and really Tampa's defense to a whole. And it was quite surprising because when Kevin and I were going over this game last week, we were of the mindset that both Tampa and Kansas City would be able to put up points against each respective defense. But we still favored... Casey in this one simply just because of the inconsistencies that Tampa's offense has and even though that the Bucks did score 31 points on the offensive side of the board you could still tell that there are some lingering issues with that Bucks offense that are going to be 
have to be remedied going throughout the rest of the regular season. But when it comes to the Chiefs, I think a lot of the doom and gloom uh, predictors when it came to the Chiefs' upcoming season, I think they are largely overblown at this point in time. Granted, we're only four weeks in the first month of the season, so there's still a lot of time left to go when it comes to the Chiefs and how their season's going to play out. But even though that they lost some key ac- they lost some key pieces like Tyreek Hill, Marcus Valdez Scanling, I don't think they've really missed a beat here. Uh, when you look through their first four games, granted they did drop one to the Colts last week, which was quite a surprise. They were held to 17 points on the road against Indy. They bounced back in a major way, putting up 41 points and really look like one of the best offenses in the league, despite the turnover that they've had with their weapons. And it really is just kind of a point of emphasis that I have to keep focusing on here. As long as you got Patrick Mahomes, the magic can continue. Granted, it may come out a different way compared to what uh, the Chiefs had with Tyreek Hill and Marcus Valdez-Scanling. But the fact that Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and Patrick Mahomes have been able to essentially get this offense to consistently putting up at least 25 to 30 points a game in the first month of the year. Uh, It is quite astounding just because there were a lot of people that were potentially saying that the Chiefs were going to take a major step back just based off of the fact of losing some key targets in Patrick Mahomes' arsenal. But I don't really see any issues going here. Uh, When I look at Patrick, he's been extremely effective. Typically, when we look at Patrick, Patrick does a really good job in the month of September, and really this past September was no uh, exception. Even though this game took place in October, he was still able to keep the consistency going from September going into this game and pretty much torched one of the best defenses that we've seen so far this year. Tampa's defense had been stout the first three weeks, and they came back down to earth in a major way, and that was simply just because of what Patrick was able to do. And not only that, I thought the Chiefs had a great ground attack uh, throughout the entire course of the game. And Tampa is really known for a pretty stout run defense. But I have to say, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and the rest of that Chiefs running back core, they were solid from beginning to end. They were getting multiple carries where it looked like Tampa was going to get a stop, maybe one to two yards past the line of scrimmage. But you got to give credit to the Chiefs running backs to be able to find some space to get an extra you know, three, four, five yards. And it really helps that Chiefs offense because... Instead of a second and eight or second and seven or second and nine, you're dealing with a second and two or a second and three. You have a lot more flexibility in that offense to be able to stretch the field, to be able to extend drives. And essentially, that's what we saw for the Chiefs on the road against Tampa. So by and large, when it comes to the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs are fine. Uh, They're sitting at the top of the AFC West. And despite the fact that some teams in the AFC West have really taken a tremendous stride to to bolster their position in that division. The Chiefs find themselves at the top of the pecking order in the AFC West uh, going into October. And I think for me personally, I don't really see any sort of issue with them moving forward. Really the only thing that I can point to is if their offense isn't necessarily humming at all cylinders, that defense can be a little bit shaky. We have seen at times where their defense can't step up when the de- when the offense is... I would say inconsistent at best, but I would say that the only way that the Chiefs are going to be able to sustain the success moving forward is that offense is going to have to score 25 to 30 points just because that defense is still leaky at times and may not necessarily be the most reliable when that offense isn't running at all cylinders. Now let's kick it to Tampa. 
when it comes to Tampa, there's something of note that I have to bring up here. Tom Brady, I think, is playing fine so far. And granted, the defense had a letdown game against the Chiefs. That happens. I mean, when you're going up against Patrick Mahomes, not saying that it's expected. Obviously, you try to do everything to avert that. But it was safe to say that the Chiefs had their number the entire night. And there was really no sort of answer that Tampa's defense had for KC. Now, when it comes to Brady, Brady, you could tell, is frustrated with the lack of consistency that this offense has had. They had their best offensive output of the season so far. They put up 31 points. Now, granted, it was in a losing effort. There were some steps that they took forward from this game. But by and large, a lot of these points that Tampa were able to get, they were in a position where they were already down three possessions. And it didn't seem like that offense was consistent. And it really comes down to not Tom Brady, but their offensive line. And I'm looking at their left guard. Their left guard is just weak. And I'm not saying weak physically. He's not weak in that regard. But when it comes to his competence at playing that left guard position, it's just not there. He's getting bull rushed left and right. And Chris Jones largely had his way against him. And until the Bucs can really shore up this part of their offensive line, they're going to struggle offensively. And not just has it, it doesn't have an effect on Brady alone. It has an effect on Leonard Fournette, on their run game. And by and large, it just puts their offense in a tricky situation. It kind of binds them up and it kind of makes them essentially one dimensional. Because when we look back to this game against the Chiefs, Brady threw the ball 52 times in this game. And there was a stretch where Brady threw the ball 25 times in a row because they couldn't rely on the offensive line to be able to open up run lanes for Leonard Fournette and the rest of Tampa's running back court. It also didn't help that Tampa largely dug themselves in a hole early in the first quarter, and it was basically catch-up at that point for them. But... Their offensive line is a major issue moving forward. It was nice to see that Chris Godwin and Julio Jones uh, came back from injuries in this game. But you could tell that Tom is not happy with the production that the offense is putting out on the field. You know, granted, it could be worse. They're at a two and two record. They could be sitting at a situation where they're under 500 or they're winless, but that's not necessarily the case here. But they definitely need to fix some things going forward just because when I look at Tom, I think Tom has been largely fine. He's protecting the ball well. He's completing at least 60 to 65% of his passes a game. He's putting up touchdowns left and right. It's just a lot of drives end up getting stalled, and they have to uh, be able to punt. they got to put the defense in a tricky situation just because of the inconsistency at times on the offensive side of the ball. And until this offensive line issue is resolved, I think Tom's going to be, I'm not going to say disinterested with the lack of scoring that the Bucks are putting on the board. It's just that offensive line is going to be a huge major emphasis here for him going forward. And until that gets resolved, I think Tampa is going to have kind of a bumpy road for the next couple of weeks. Uh, it could help if they get Ryan Jensen back, but there's no guarantee that his presence alone is going to fix the issues on the offensive line. But if they have the struggles, it's probably best to have them right now. In the month of September, early October, you can be able to learn from those mistakes and you can be able to bounce from, back from them fairly quickly. But by the time that November rolls around and December comes, they better have these issues resolved or else it's going to kind of be an up and down year for them. And 
That's despite the fact that you have the GOAT at the quarterback spot. But I will leave that game for where it's at. It was a competitive game, but let's focus on the next game at hand, and that is going to be the Bills and the Ravens. Uh, the Bills won this game against the Ravens by the score of 23-20. to uh, This was quite a competitive game. Um, it didn't look like that early on because the Ravens were dominating Buffalo um, in the first half. Uh, at one point, they were up 20-3. to But the Bills rallied to come back from a 20-3 to deficit, and they end up having a pretty solid second half, and they end up uh, winning the game on a game-winning field goal at the buzzer to win by the score of 23-20. to So some takeaways from this game. Uh, we'll start with Buffalo here. Uh, they needed a good bounce back win uh, after that really tough loss that they had against the Dolphins last week where they definitely left some opportunities on the field in Miami. Now, this one was a little bit different simply just because weather was a factor. And you could tell that that high-flying Bills offense was definitely thrown off by the elements simply just because receivers were dropping some passes that they probably should have if conditions were fair. Um, you could tell that the defense was kind of playing on their heels a little bit just because, you know, when you're dealing with somebody like Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, and the receivers that they have at their disposal, uh, footing is going to be difficult to maintain throughout the game. So you could tell that that Bills defense was probably playing a little bit more safe than usual just because of the elements at play and, you know, not trying to slip on the turf. But after they gave up that pretty bad first half uh, performance, uh, allowing the Ravens to go up 20 to three that Bill's defense shut down Lamar Jackson and that offense shut them out the entire second half. And it gave that Bill's offense opportunities to move down the field, put points on the board and get them back into the game. And when you have somebody like Josh Allen at the quarterback spot, there's very few guys I'd rather have in that position than him. And so far uh, he's been able to prove, why he's one of the best players that the Bills have. And it's not just in the passing game, but it's in the running game. And th there were multiple times throughout this game where Josh Allen was able to extend drives simply just off of running out of the pocket and being able to pick up crucial first downs or just crucial yards to keep a drive alive. And, you know, great that this wasn't Josh Allen's best passing performance. And why would it? Because of the rain that was falling in Baltimore. But this was one of those wins. It was a gritty tough earned win and you know when the offense needed to drive to essentially get this game into hand for them Josh Allen and the rest of that offense were able to put things together to be able to mount a game winning drive and leave Baltimore at a 3 and 1 record and it really just shows the adversity that they faced you know being down 20 to 3 on the road you could just pack it in but they didn't do that they stuck with it uh, they just kept putting one foot in front of another and they were able to make, put some plays together and it led to uh, the result that we saw in Baltimore. Now let's get to the Ravens here. The Ravens are in a tricky situation when it comes to how their team plays in the second half. This is the second time where they've given up a three possession lead. Granted, this one was a little bit different than giving up uh, a 35 to 14 lead against the Dolphins a couple weeks ago. But when you're up 20 to three, you got to be able to find ways uh, to keep points going on the board. And this is the second time where this Ravens offense has largely struggled in a part of the second half. In this game particularly, it was the entire second half. Um, you know, you can credit the Bills defense for being able to hold Lamar Jackson uh, to a relatively, a relatively pedestrian performance in the second half. But 
if the Ravens aren't able to keep offensive consistency going in the second half, kind of similar to what I brought up with Tampa and the issues that they've had on their offense, you could kind of apply them here just because, you know, a lot of pressure is put on Lamar's back just because when it comes to the wideouts that they have at their disposal, I wouldn't say they're necessarily cream of the crop here. And that may actually play a factor into why a lot of these drives on the Ravens offense are just stalling out in the second half, just because the defenses that they're going up against are making great second half adjustments. We saw that against the Dolphins um, just a couple of weeks back when the Dolphins defense was able to string multiple stops in a row against that Ravens offense. And the same thing happened in this game against the Bills. The Bills were able to string along multiple or several drives in the second half that kept the Ravens off the board. Now, there's one point that I have to bring up with this Ravens offense. And this has nothing to do with the personnel on the field. This has to do with coaching. It's 20 to 20. You have a couple minutes left in the game and you're inside the five-yard line. If you don't convert on third down, go for the field goal. At least get the points on the board. And this isn't really an issue when it comes to kicking in the rain because you have Justin Tucker and Justin Tucker ended up knocking some pretty big field goals earlier in the game when it was raining quite significantly. And I thought that Harbaugh and the rest of the coaching staff would have elected to just go for a field goal, go up three points, and then put the pressure on Josh Allen and that Bills offense to be able to move the ball down the field to either tie the game or potentially win it. But at least at that point, you have at least done your job to be able to get points on the board. Granted, a touchdown is better, but take the points when you can get them. In this specific instance, I thought they pushed the envelope way too far in this one. I understand that they were on the two or three yard line, but get the field goal there, get the points and give your defense a chance to be able to make a stand and potentially win you the game. When they missed that fourth and goal, when Lamar got picked off in the end zone, now it's a fair game for Buffalo. Now Buffalo only needs a field goal to be able to win the game. When had Baltimore gone for a field goal, if Buffalo gets a field goal, it's a tie game, and then the game goes into overtime. Now, granted, you could say that Baltimore could give up a touchdown if Buffalo just marches down the field, but you at least gave yourself a chance to win the game, and it would largely be on the heels of your defense stepping up and making a play. So I just thought that was a poor decision by John Harbaugh and the the crew here, but you know, by and large, the Ravens need to kind of get these things squared away with because this is two games in particular where they have missed some opportunities, especially in the second half, and they've let some games slip. And I think until they're able to remedy these second half issues that they're dealing with, I think it's going to be it's going to be kind of bumpy for Baltimore. They're putting a lot of pressure on Lamar's back, and if he comes through, great. But when I look at the Ravens right now, this is a team that should probably be at least 3-1 and one and potentially 4-0 just based off of how they were playing against the Dolphins and how they were playing against the Bills at certain points in the game. The fact that they let both of those games slip and they ended up giving um, the, the Ws away or they ended up just losing the game, that's something that they're going to have to fix moving on forward. Granted, it's only October. You know, we're only through four weeks of the year. But you could definitely tell there's some there's definitely some holes 
when it comes to the Ravens as a unit. But I still believe that the Ravens are going to be a solid team moving forward. So I don't think all hope is lost when it comes to Baltimore. But they're one of those teams that should probably be in a better position than where they're at right now. Two and two is a little bit of a disappointment, though, the way that I see it. So up next, we are going to transition to the Eagles and the Jags game. So uh, from this game, the Eagles won by the score of 29-21. to 21 to, They improved to 4-0 on the year. But it didn't look like that at first. Uh, the Eagles relatively struggled in this game against Jacksonville early on. Jacksonville got up to a very hot start. Uh, they were up 14-0 in the first quarter. And the Eagles' offense looked inconsistent. The defense was getting essentially destroyed by the Jags. I mean, the Jags of all teams have actually been pretty solid so far. And they got off to a great start in this game. And then the Eagles really made some solid adjustments uh, before going into halftime. I really thought that their defense stepped up because Trevor Lawrence and that Jags offense, they just couldn't get much going in the second quarter. And that was by and large just based off of the pressure that the Eagles were able to bring with their front four. They were able to limit the run. And when the Jags needed to convert on third down, the Eagles were able to get them off the field and give Jalen Hurts and that Eagles offense a chance to move down the field and get some points. And that's what we saw. And also, just a point of note here, similar to uh, the Ravens and the Bills game, weather was a factor. Uh, very similar to the Baltimore and Buffalo. There were plays where, let's be frank, if this were under fair conditions or if this one were under better weather conditions, there were plays by both teams that they probably could have made just simply just because of dropping the ball. I remember one by Dallas Goddard in particular uh, inside the 10-yard line where he had a pretty solid chance of catching it. Slipped right through his hands just because of the rainy conditions. But the Eagles didn't let that deter them, especially in the second quarter and then going into the third quarter. That was really a good stretch from the Eagles just because I thought they were able to run the ball effectively with Miles Sanders. And just the RPO that the Eagles have run this year has been quite successful. Uh, Jalen's been great out of that system just off of the fact that he give the ball to miles or he could pass from it and when you look at Jalen so far this year he's been relatively solid he hasn't really turned the ball over that much granted he had the one interception early on against the Jags but he was able to bounce back from that and he was able to hit his targets like Dallas Goddard uh, Devontae Smith AJ Brown uh, he was able to distribute the ball quite effectively in this game but it was really their run game I thought that was probably the biggest takeaway on the offensive side of the ball I mean, when you look at their offense, Miles Sanders had, had quite a day. Uh, they really leaned on him heavily uh, to get them this win. But one point I want to make about the Eagles here was their defense. Uh, their defense was solid from essentially the second quarter on. They were able to force five turnovers in this game. And like I said, you could probably blame some of that uh, when it comes to the Jags on the weather. But like I said... The Eagles' front four was getting after Trevor consistently throughout this game. They were able to force interceptions. They were also able to force strip sacks. And the Eagles were able to pounce on them. And not only that, I think they were able to recover a fumble when Trevor was trying to do a QB sneak and ended up losing the ball in the process. And the Eagles pounced on it and were able to get the ball back to Jalen. Uh, overall, the Eagles are a very well-rounded team. I don't know if they're the most well-rounded team. I would probably say that probably goes to the Bills just because I think their defense is better and their offense I think is just a tad bit better than what the Eagles are just based off of a personnel perspective. But so far, the Eagles have been very consistent here. Their offense is putting up at least 20 to 25 points a game. Their defense has been stout. Now granted, I wouldn't say that they're playing against the best competition, but 
you play against a competition that you have to go up against. And by and large, they're winning these games quite convincingly. Uh, the only thing that I would point to the Eagles, uh, just something to note moving forward with them, is just whether or not that that offense can become a little bit more explosive. There have been times where the Eagles can move the ball 30 to 40 yards downfield, and then their drives stall out. And that's something that we saw a little bit in the Jags game. We saw it a little bit in the Vikings game on Monday night a couple of weeks ago. But by and large, uh, the Eagles have been a very solid team so far. I wouldn't be surprised if they top our list for our week four power rankings when we release those uh, in just a couple of days. But overall, I think the Eagles are in a very good spot here. And I mean, when you're sitting at 4-0, you're the only undefeated team left. That's got to count for something uh, for the first month of the year. So... Uh, the Eagles definitely are a solid team. They could even potentially be the best team. And, you know, if they're able to keep the production on both sides of the ball moving forward, uh, this is definitely going to be a viable team in the NFC. That's just how I see it. Now, we'll keep things in the NFC East. We're going to focus on the Cowboys and the Commanders game. Uh, the Cowboys improved the 3-1 and one on the year after beating the Commanders by the score of 25-10. to 10. And when I look back at this game specifically, I got to focus on Cooper Rush to start out here. Cooper Rush is playing solid football for the quarterback position with the Cowboys. Is he, you know, lighting up the scoreboard, putting up 30, 40 points a game? No, but he's relatively consistent as far as the accuracy is concerned. And he's not putting the ball in harm's way consistently throughout the game. And really when it comes to just that quarterback spot with them, I think Dallas will take that any day of the week. Just because until Dak comes back, this offense is not necessarily going to be high-flying. I don't even know if there's really any indication going into this year that this Cowboys offense was going to be like a top-five offense. But I think the Cowboys are playing this smart here. They're putting the ball in Cooper's hands at times, but they're also relying on Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott uh, to get them production. And I think, by and large, that's a working formula, or that's at least a winning formula for the Cowboys until Dak gets back. And not only that, if they're able to put up, I, I don't know, 20 to 25 points a game, and if their defense has been playing the way that they've been playing, I think the Cowboys can be a solid team here in the NFC East. And just to kind of focus on their defense here a little bit, I thought that they were fantastic. And re this is really the reason why I think that the Cowboys are winning games here. You know, obviously you could say that Cooper Rush is not giving up these games by turning the ball over three or four times a game. But their defense has been stout. And this was another example of that Cowboys defense rising to the occasion and giving themselves a chance to win. Only giving up 10 points to the commanders is, is quite a feat. And not only that, they were able to bring consistent pass rushes. Excuse me. They were able to bring consistent pass rushes against Carson Wentz. They were able to force turnovers. I thought that Trayvon Diggs actually had a pretty solid day when I look back at his performance. He was able to get an interception on a deep pass that Carson was throwing. He was also able to get some pretty key pass breakups when the commanders were trying to at least put points on the board or trying to extend drives. I thought Trayvon Diggs definitely had a solid day. I know Kevin uh, typically criticizes Trayvon for allowing the amount of yards he gave up last year, despite all the interceptions that he was able to get. But when I look back at this game from Trayvon, I thought he was solid. And, you know, when I look at the Cowboys defense, if they're able to maintain this type of consistency throughout the first month of the year, going into October and November, this could be one of those teams 
that could be a dark horse later in the year. Granted, they still have to play their cards, right? Just because they're actually playing in quite a competitive NFC East at this point in time because the Eagles are sitting at a 4-0 record. The Cowboys themselves are sitting at a 3-1 record. And the Giants are right there at a 3-1 record as well. The Commanders are basically at the seller of the NFC East. But the Cowboys are in that mix. And who would have thought, you know, four weeks into the season that the NFC East would have some of the best teams just based off a of record alone in the NFL. You know, you got three teams that are three and one or better. And, you know, when it comes to the Cowboys, I still think that Dak is going to be the starting quarterback when he comes back. I don't want anybody thinking that Cooper Rush, just based off of how he's played these last couple of games since Dak got hurt, that he's just going to take the starting job from Dak. And it's going to be a situation of like, you know, Tom Brady replacing Drew Bledsoe when that happened back in 2001 for the Patriots. That's not the case here. I still believe that Dak is the better quarterback out of the two. And if Dak could be able to maintain essentially just a winning formula that the Cowboys have maintained these last couple of weeks with Cooper Rush at the helm, I think the Cowboys can be in an advantageous situation moving forward. Like I said, we're still only four weeks into the year. There's a lot of time left and the Cowboys can find a way to muck things up. And trust me, history is on their side in that regard to screwing things up. But at this point in time, they're sitting at three and one. They're doing fine at this point based off of just Cooper doing his thing until Dak gets back. But I think by and large, when it comes to Dallas as a whole, their defense is the standout here. And I really think that's by and large why they're winning these games. Their offense is doing enough, but that defense is stepping up and they're playing phenomenal football on that side. So, you know, good on the Cowboys for being three and one. And we'll just kind of see how things transpire for them moving forward. So uh, we're only one segment from closing this out. Uh, Let's focus on our honorable mention here. And that is probably going to be the Seahawks and the Lions game. This was an incredibly offensive performance. And I just have to kind of say this. I wasn't necessarily expecting this type of output from either the Lions or the Seahawks. Maybe I could have looked back at this a little bit differently and seen, okay, both defenses have been giving up large points in bunches here. But I wasn't necessarily confident in either Geno Smith or Jared Goff to be able to put performances up like this. I have to say both quarterbacks played phenomenal in this game. But look at Geno, man. Geno Smith replaces Russell Wilson. And a lot of people thought, me included, that that the Seahawks would have been at the bottom of the barrel in the NFC West just because the NFC West is still a competitive division from top to bottom. But they're sitting at a 2-2 two and two record four weeks into the year. And they have the same record as Russell Wilson and the Broncos. So that kind of has to count for something moving forward. Granted, I don't know if it's going to continue with the Seahawks. And I don't have a lot of faith in the Seahawks moving forward just based off of the fact that they gave up 45 points here. Granted, it wasn't a winning effort. But allowing 45 points is not something that you want from your defense. There's a little bit of a discouraging element when it comes to the Seahawks here. But overall, you know, if you're just a fan of football, you look back at this game, and I mean, it was touchdowns galore in this game. I mean, this is the highest scoring game that we've seen from both teams in a respective game. I mean, when both teams are putting up over 40 points a game, I mean, if I have my math right here, there were 93 points scored in this game. So 
if you want an offensive shootout, this was the game for you. But I have to say, just based off of what the Seahawks have done in the first four weeks of the year, they've kind of surprised me just based off of the fact that Geno Smith has not looked awful. You know, they were able to win week one, uh, that matchup against the Broncos, when Russell Wilson came back to Seattle for the first time since leaving this past offseason. And then you follow it up with the performance. Granted, it was a couple of weeks later in week four with one of the best performances that I've seen from Geno Smith in quite some time. So, you know, we'll see what happens with the Seahawks. Like I said, I don't have a lot of faith with them just because their defense is really leaky. And when it comes to their offense, they're inconsistent to say the least. But in this one specifically, I mean, you put 48 points on the board, good on you. And I got to say, this is definitely probably my honorable mention of the week. But that'll pretty much wrap it up for me, you guys. Um, I know this was a relatively short episode. It would be longer just because, you know, if Kevin were here, um, this would probably be over an hour and change. But those are the games that I just wanted to cover. I wanted to keep this relatively short uh, just based off the fact that Kevin wasn't here. Um, I mean, going into the rest of the week, uh, we will try to upload another episode probably on Friday. Uh, hopefully, Kevin will be here. Hopefully, these uh, internet issues and really the um, the electricity issues that Kevin is dealing with uh, in Fort Myers are resolved uh, later this week. Uh, but if not, um, you guys will hear from me again. Uh, we'll probably just do a pretty simple uh, week five preview. Um, I don't have any of the games uh, in front of me right now, but if I had to guess, most of that episode is just going to revolve around uh, what we're going to see in week five with the NFL. But, you know, until then, I uh, appreciate you guys tuning in uh, and supporting the podcast in any way, shape, or form, whether it's listening to us on the audio platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching our YouTube content. We definitely appreciate you guys uh, giving our podcast a look, and uh, we hope that we get your support uh, for the foreseeable future and the long-term future. But um, I'm going to wrap this up here, you guys. Once again, thank you guys uh, for tuning in. Uh, hopefully Kevin is back later this week. And uh, we'll see you guys later. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's his dad. No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big on this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them hit. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.